21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. Kevin, hi, how are you today? Hi, Martin. Hi, hi, Kevin. Great. What's the weather back in Texas? Texas is a little bit overcast, uh, but uh, Texas is a very interesting place. We just got snow here for the first time in 40 years. Oh. And during the summer, it will be hot, hot, hot. We, we love it here, though. Okay, that's, that's, that sounds very interesting. And actually, um, your whole personal and business journey was interesting as well. So if you can share with us uh, something about you. Thank you. Well, uh, I, my, I started uh, way back in the day. Uh, I started getting a college degree in physics. I was always interested in the truths of the universe. What are the principles of uh, that govern the laws of the universe and finding out truth and so forth. Uh, eventually, every good physicist needs to eat. And so I, I decided to go into uh, the software industry. There was this new booming industry called the personal computer. And uh, way back in 1984, I ended up uh, in a, a trade show, walking the, the, sh the floors of that trade show, talking with the presidents of companies to see if I could get a job as a programmer. And I had a, a minor in computer science. Computers were fun. And ended up working at a company called WordPerfect Corporation. I was one of the first programmers hired there. And uh, that was an amazing experience. And one of the things that we ran into there was leadership and management. How do you manage smart people? And I always wanted to start my own business. I really, really, really wanted to start my own business. And they had a very flexible approach at that company that said, if you want to work on the side, work on the side all you want, and we won't, we won't withhold permission for you to do that. As a result of that, I worked crazy hours outside of work on my own stuff, and I quickly became very skilled as an assembly language programmer, which benefited WordPerfect. It's a very interesting thing to see, and that made me start thinking about leadership. The other thing at WordPerfect was they gave us a fair amount of autonomy to do what we thought was important. And I remember talking with Bruce Bastian, who was the president, uh, international president of WordPerfect Corporation, and he said, Kevin, why do you want to go off and start your own company? Aren't we taking good care of you here? And I said, well, I just want to be able to do the things I want to do. I, I want to be able to make the shots and call the make the decisions, call, call the shots. And he looked at me, I'll never forget this, he looked at me and he said, I don't get to do what I want here. And here was the president of WordPerfect, the international president of WordPerfect Corporation. He didn't get to do what he wanted because he and the other leaders of the company had decided to give control, greater control to their programmers. And as a result, this tiny little company that started out as Satellite Software International grew to become a billion-dollar company, was sold for a billion dollars to Novell uh, just, I don't know, six, seven, eight years later. So that started the journey. I eventually ended up in productivity, time management, put together a, a time management system called Total Relaxed Organization. And uh, we could prove that we could put people in control of their time and they'd get 600 extra years, excuse me, 600 extra hours a year back in productivity. 
But what we discovered was the greatest productivity gains for managers were found in how those people managed and led their people. And so that led me to, to start getting heavily involved in hands-off leadership. I worked with a guy named David Marquet, who wrote a great book called Turn the Ship Around, worked as his COO for a while, and saw what he did with intent-based leadership. And then we created the book Never Boss, Great Leadership by Letting Go, to teach people how to, how to, how to lead leaders instead of managing followers. So that's kind of the path that I followed. You, you spoke about time management and product productivity. By the way, uh, the amount of money that they get, I mean, it was, it was early 90s or? Yes, so it, was they, a, they, it was in the mid-early mid 90s that they sold it, like 1994-ish, I think. Yeah, so I, it was, I went on board there in 1984. Amazing growth for for company giving the control. Yes, I really believe that was a, a huge part of it. So can I um, sort of uh, connect it with uh, engagement? Yes. I mean, I'm sure you are familiar with uh, Gulp Q12 test uh, regarding the engagement. I was shocked uh, when I saw the statistics that uh, uh, USA, for example, is uh, among... Uh, top 1% uh, countries uh, regarding the engagement and still it's only 30% of the horrible. whole place. It's, 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 it's horrible. Yes. So let's, <laughs> let's, let's speak a little bit about uh, the, the, the most important aspects of the personal and, and, and as well as uh, business uh, development. I mean, I, you, you, you wrote in your book about awareness, about uh, transformation process. So absolutely. Well, we have to, whenever you've got a problem, one of the things I learned in physics is you've got to understand why it's really happening. Let's solve the actual problem. Let's not solve the wrong, let's not waste effort and energy trying to solve the wrong things. And in order to solve problems, well, you have to, you have to have fundamental principles. If you know the principles of what's going on, you can solve any problem in that area. So we need to look down to, to underneath. Why aren't people engaging? Because Companies, they say, well, people aren't engaging. We must need an engagement program. We must need to, to tell people to, you know, uh, we want to hear their feedback and so forth. Well, it doesn't usually work. And this is why. If you, if you look in Neverboss, if you look in the book, we have what's called a hands-off leadership roadmap. And that is also the same roadmap we use when we're going to transform an organization from top-down to bottom-up follower driven where we're creating leaders instead of followers and in that kind of a transformation most companies most companies will start with what are the results we want what what do we want to build how do we want to build it what's our vision for this company where are we going okay how are we going to focus on that how are we going to build the capabilities to deliver that let's get clarity on roles and responsibilities oh and by the way we better work on our culture okay that is exactly backwards from the model we use in Neverboss. We start with the culture if we're going to transform things. Then we create the clarity, the capability, focus, and then we ask, what would you like the vision to be? And the reason we do that, if you've built the company from the top down, you already established the vision, and you ask people and you say, what ideas do you have? Well, you've already given them all the answers. The people with the power have already said, this is what we're doing. So there's not a lot of room for people to, to engage and express 
new ideas and new creative directions. But if you start from the bottom up, you create a culture where engagement is safe and effective. If I speak up, I'm actually going to be heard and something will actually, I can do something about it. Then people will talk all the time. So the reason I think that we're having engagement problems in the United States and worldwide is because we're using old fashioned, ineffective management models that do not allow people to speak up and they punish initiative, they punish new ideas and they reward obedience and silence. So uh, you say from from the from the bottom up engagement is actually effective. Does anything change? I mean, uh, are are people today more, more? I mean, actually, you wrote something about that in your book as well. So is is it is it about uh, new level of awareness, of knowledge, of understanding, of ah, okay, good catch? question. How does it happen? Mm -hmm. If you want change to happen, you have to make it as simple as possible, and it has to immediately reward people. People have to hope for something. They have to be assured that they're actually going to get it, and you have to show them a simple path forward. If you do that, change will happen. So if you want engagement to happen in an organization, it's not just about awareness and so forth. You have to go to the root cause and the root cause of not speaking up in an organization is fear. People don't speak up because they're afraid. They're afraid they'll sound dumb. They're afraid their boss won't like it. The boss is going to kill it anyway. <clears throat> All these things are reasons why people don't speak up. Eliminate the fear and give people actual authority and power to act. And you, you're not trying hard to change the culture of the organization, you are unleashing the floodgates of change in the organization because people want this. Uh, Dan Pink says in his book, Drive, he talks about motivation 3.0. The new, the new motivation is uh, people want autonomy, they want to become masters at what they do, and, and they want a sense of purpose and relatedness to other people. You create an organization where there's no fear and you give them an actual power and authority and they'll do that. And as a result, they, they will speak up. So how do you create, the big question then is, how do you eliminate that fear? And there are certain things that cause that fear to be there and there are simple changes that, that, that uh, eliminate it. You, you've got to create a, a, a culture. First of all, you, create, you say, look, our new standard in this company is universal safety. And universal safety means emp mutual empathy, mutual respect, and mutual purpose. And notice we're not saying the boss needs to feel safe. We're saying everyone needs to feel safe. Mutual respect, mutual empathy, mutual purpose. And then you give people accountability. And accountability mean, doesn't mean I have to answer to the boss about whether or not I'm, I, I'm doing this. Everyone is accountable to everyone else in that company for that standard, regardless of title or position. And you see some great leaders doing this now. Uh, there are, there, I believe Elon Musk said, look, if you think I'm wrong, not only may you speak up, 
you must speak up and you can do it publicly. A lot of leaders are very uncomfortable with that. But when you make that safe and you model that behavior from the top down, everyone feels empowered and, and it just unleashes the floodgates of change. I have actually two questions and it's, it's up to you how to, how to organize Great. Uh, the, the answer. First one is uh, regarding triggers. So okay. uh, intrinsic uh, versus, let's say, intrinsic versus uh, external motivation uh, factors. Uh, what's the ratio from your perspective? And the second question is, okay, you spoke about uh, as simple as possible, so simple yes. death. But uh, what I found is beneath the simplicity, there is the whole book structure you have based on narrative style, left-right brain development, knowledge understanding application, as we use in Europe, uh, back in Europe, as uh, we call it, Europe qualification framework, and okay. you in States have similar. So that combination of those two topics, I think that could be very interesting. Great question. So let's start with, uh, let's kind of give you the big picture here. The bottom line is if anybody listens, anybody who listens to podcasts or a keynote address or a workshop or reads a book, you know what? You better walk away with something you can actually use uh, or, you, or it hasn't been useful for your time. So that, that's part of the goal for this session. Let's just not talk, you know, theoreticals. Let's talk about some, some, actual, some actual things you can do like right now to start making changes in your organization, even before you read the book. Okay. So uh, that, that's part of our goal here. And that was part of the goal in writing the book in the format it was written in. It is a story format and there's a great YouTube video out there. The three best ways to start a talk or a speech. And the, one of the best ways to start, a matter of fact, the best way is once upon a time, or equivalent words when you're talking to an adult, let me tell you a story when you're talking to an adult audience because your mind is ready then to hear something, to hear a story. Stories are interesting. We remember stories. And was it uh, Confucius who was quoted as saying, if I hear, I forget. If I see, I remember. If I do, then I understand. And when we read a story, it's almost like we're in it. And we're, we're seeing it. So I remember, but I'm almost doing the things that people are doing in the story. And that's kind of what you're talking about, how the story engages emotion if it's well-written. And, it, and it also teaches principles. So you've got the left brain and the right brain working together. So we wanted to create that story that way. I, however, am not a great story writer. I'm, my forte is systems, the simplest possible systems to make change happen fast. So I reached out to somebody who was a brilliant story writer, uh, under-recognized, we call them Moneyball talent. If you've read the book Moneyball, How to Win at an Unfair Game, where there's a great movie with Brad Pitt on Moneyball, highly recommend it. So I found this excellent writer and had her write the story and never boss style, we said, you own the story, okay? You're gonna be owner of story. You create the world of this person, his name is uh, Jeffrey, you create Jeffrey's world and the problems he's going through. And then she interviewed me for a hundred hours, real world stories, real experiences, real insights. And she took all those experiences, changed the details so that to, hide, to, to maintain privacy. 
and then wove them into this story that showed the transformation of a company and a leader from, from the beginning of trouble to success at the end. And it, and it exactly parallels what we actually see in companies. So that was, that was the uh, objective of writing the book that way. And by, by creating a story and by having emotion, that kind of starts to tap into these internal triggers that you're talking about. You, you see something, you experience it, you, you, the, the story resonates with and you say, I want that. And then at the end of that chapter, it says, all right, here are some actions. This is what you can do to start making these changes immediately. So for example, one of the first questions that we raise in the book is, if you want to lead leaders instead of managing followers, you have to create ownership in them and they have to be taking initiative. Ownership is the holy grail of great leadership. So how do, you, how do you get people to own it? Well, one of the first questions is, who feels the pain? If a mistake is made, who feels the pain? And in most companies where you've got this 70% disengagement rate, the boss feels the pain. The boss is the one who notices the problem happening. The boss is the one who's going and telling people how to go and fix these problems. No wonder they're not engaged. If, however, when a customer complaint happened, it showed up right in the inbox of the person who actually delivered the service, they start to feel the pain. And, and, and the better half of that question is, who feels the reward? It's, it's not just about feeling pain, it's about feeling the reward. Who feels the reward? When I first started work, I worked at an Arby's restaurant, and I worked super hard, and one day, one of the workers said, Kevin, did you see the customer comment card that was filled out? It has your name on it. And I thought, whoa, cool. Where is it? It's sitting on the manager's desk. And the manager's desk was right in the hallway. So I kind of walked past that desk and sneakily kind of looked down to see the card sitting there. And it said, you should be proud of Kevin. He shows great customer service. He was smiling. He was pleasant. He's a, he represents your organization. Well, I remember those words. And I thought, oh, this is great. My manager's going to talk to me about this. I waited and I waited. <clears throat> the manager never told me about that card. So in the end, I was left thinking, maybe the manager doesn't like me. Maybe I'm not doing a good job. I don't know. But I wasn't allowed to feel the pain of my mistakes, mistakes and especially the reward, the fruits of my labors. So if you want people to start taking ownership in the company, you're going to, great leaders ask great questions, start asking questions and setting up the systems so they automatically feel the pain or automatically feel the reward of their actions. So that's an example of these kinds of triggers you're talking about uh, and the kind of systems. We're telling stories, we're teaching simple principles that resonate with people. They want it. That's internal. It's already in there. We're not trying to make them want something new. And then we show them a simple way forward to do it and simple systems to uh, help them measure and determine whether they're succeeding. Twenty-first Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. What do you feel? What do you experience? What do you think? Is now the good time to? Well, actually, you have two 
two models correlate. You have the transformation model per se, so cultural clarity, and you have steps. So you have like like transformation circles. Yeah. So yes, leadership steps. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the leadership steps and levels of initiative. Okay, so we got this transformation model, which shows you the big picture of how the whole organization is changing. And, and the foundation is we're creating a culture of hands-off leadership. We're speaking up is safe. We're taking action initiative is safe. Okay. But that by itself isn't enough in organizations. You have the systems, many of the systems in organizations uh, undermine that kind of leadership. So we need to put systems in place that reinforce and support that. Well, as you're doing this, it's, there's a problem. You've got all these middle managers in the company who in most companies, sadly, middle management is not an asset. It's a drain on the bottom line. Okay. That's tragic. Not just for the company who, you know, profitability. Okay. That's, that is important, but let's talk about the people. Those middle managers are not feeling a tremendous sense of satisfaction. They're just basically hanging onto their jobs. So how do you get them on board and how do you actually make the change happen there? Well, what we do with the middle managers is we say, look, we're giving you a promotion. Instead of a manager of followers, we're turning you into leaders and creators of leaders. And that's hard to do, it sounds, so we're gonna give you a simple tool that will make that possible. And the simple tool is called the leadership steps. The leadership steps, it, there's been a, a, a debate for decades, is it better to be hands-on or hands-off as a leader? You know, do we want holacracy and absolute freedom or do we want hierarchy where there's greater control and less risk? Guess what? The answer is, ne is neither and both. The best leadership style is a transformation from one to the other as quickly as people can handle it. And once you see this as a journey and not as an all or nothing choice, and you realize why you need to be at each leadership step, suddenly it becomes very clear what you should do at each moment, what kind of leadership you should use, so that you're giving more and more power to your people and creating more and more leaders. And leadership steps are simple. You, and with the organizations I'm coaching and, and working with, they just measure what leadership step am I on. And uh, you'll, you'll go to step zero and take over and do their work for them if it's necessary to create stability. The ship can't sink. So that's, you know, but normally you start with telling to create clarity. You're gonna make things clear to them. What is your role? What authorities do you have? What are the boundaries? And then you're gonna step, uh, we call that stepping in. Now we're gonna, excuse me, stepping up. Now we're gonna step beside them and train them. And that's step two. Well, you train people to build their capability to make it possible for them to deliver, to make sure that there are no obstacles that prevent them from delivering. And then we get to move to this great step, step three, where we're coaching. And that's where we're starting to step back. And the purpose of coaching is to inspire greater ownership. Last of all, once they're really kind of owning it, then you get to step away, which is step four, and we're supporting and mentoring. Instead of coaching, which is more active, you, you going to them in mentoring, they come to you. So this, that's the leadership step, and it's measurable. Every week when we meet with somebody, we see, you know, in a one-on-one, I'll say, uh, okay, I think I'm on step three and a half, you know, probably three and a half. I'm halfway between coaching and mentoring. Where do you think I'm at? And, now, and then they say, 
Well, actually, you remember when you made me send you my email and you rewrote it? I think that was taking over. I think that was step zero. Oops. And now we're having a discussion about it. And what we measure improves. So if you want to change leadership, you have to actually be able to measure leadership. And that's what the leadership steps do. And one last comment, the flip side of that is the workers. You know, what, what is the worker doing? And that is their initiative level. So we have a very simple measure called levels of initiative. And it's A through F. F is they do it when they're told. And notice most companies are happy with that. Well, when I tell my workers to do something, they do it. Well, there's no initiative in that. I have to constantly drive everything. Micromanagement never was leadership. So we want these people to take initiative. So a D is where they're asking, hey, what, what do you think I should do, boss? I'm ready to do something new. A C is where they're recommending. Hey, this is what I think I'd like to do. This is what I recommend. This is what I intend to do. And uh, you know, this is my plan. That's even a C plus. But then you get to this beautiful point where they're doing it on their own and they report back. They have to report back to this communication. And that's a B and they're, when they're reporting back immediately. And if they're reporting, when they're getting to that place where you just know things are running and you can just check in once a week and see how things are doing, that's an A. That's doing it on their own and reporting back periodically. So they can measure where their initiative is. So now you can have this conversation. You can say, hey, uh, tell me about the, uh, the, the cleanliness scores for the store. Uh, um, how, how clean is the store? Oh, it's pretty clean. Where, what is your level of initiative on, on store cleanliness? And they look at the card and they're saying, well, I'm doing it when I'm told, uh, but I'm not doing it on my own. And I'm, dang, I guess I'm an F. Uh, okay, what would you, you know, what would it take for you to be a B? What could you do to be a B on initiative? Well, I think I could just start doing it without being told and then I'll report back to you when it's done. Great. Notice they're the ones who just decided that they're going to do it on their own and they're going to report back to you. And that happens by making it very simple and easy to measure what their initiative is. This was great. I, I want to, I mean, um, I can just feel that holistic approach, the combination between physics and IT and personal development and NLP and second order cybernetics. A lot of, a lot of uh, great stuff. One of the outputs from that kind of thinking and from your uh, business and personal path is definitely to have quantitative uh, measuring model. In your case, it's scorecards. Yeah. Yeah. Well, scorecards. Actually, we hand we we hand them out as most companies just use these little wallet cards. And for example, a fast food franchise in the United states they make these cards part of the uniform you must keep these in your pocket so at any time the 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 worker can say the worker can say uh boss what leadership step do you want to be at right now if they're stepping in or starting to give orders what step do you want to be at right now that's a great soft way and the, the boss will suddenly say uh oops i want to be on coaching uh, great. Uh, how can I help you get to coaching? Uh, you know, or, or the boss can say, what, what level of initiative? And you can pull the card out and you can quickly see 
by comparing the words you're hearing with the words that are on the card where you're at. What you measure improves, and when you can engage on, the, on, on that measurement, it accelerates the improvement. Many of my clients are, you know, the, these are part of the uniform. They'll attach, they'll attach the leadership steps to the name badge of the boss to remind the workers, hey, I want to be high up on the ladder, uh, on, the, on the steps, and uh, it, it encourages the discussion. What I really like to end up with here is uh, uh, something quick that the listener who's listening now can take back and immediately start to do and see immediate results. Now, some of these, now, for example, I got a call from uh, Catherine Hoke of Defy Ventures in New York City, and uh, they are a wonderful organization. They take people who are in prison who have entrepreneurial tendencies and show them how to be entrepreneurs successfully once they, once they leave. So they've got this great life ahead of them. I love what they're doing. And they wanted to change their culture in their company. Uh, they, they wanted to have a culture where uh, there was no rumor mill. And so we quit, in one hour, I talked with her about what we call the open floor policy. It's in Neverboss. And it's a, it's a very simple, principle and system that solves the problems caused by traditional open door policies. Regu the traditional open door policy, which says you can come and talk to me anytime you want, is bad. It destroys engagement. It creates mistrust. How can that be? I mean, we're trying to do the right thing and listen to people, right? Well, here's the problem. The traditional open door policy says, boss, I've got a problem with Joe. You know, Joe, Joe's just being mean to me all the time, and I don't like the way Joe's in. And the, what does the boss say? Okay, I'll talk to Joe about it. Now, when the boss goes to talk to Joe about it, Joe's going to say, well, who said this about me? And the boss is going to say, probably, well, I, I can't tell you who that is, but you need to work on this. Well, that's terrible, because now everybody in the whole organization could potentially be the person that doesn't like them. Not only that... 90% of the time when there's something like this going on, there's actually a misunderstanding happening. And so there's no way for Joe to talk with the guy who was upset with him and say, hey, I'm so sorry I came across that way. That's not what I, my intention is. They can't work it out. That's terrible. So instead of never bust, we teach an open floor policy. So here's something you can do in your organization to quickly change the culture and tone of your company. And it's this. If you have a problem with somebody, try to talk to them about it. But if you can't, I mean, that is your first, uh, your first order. But if you don't feel safe doing it or you can't, then do talk to the manager. The manager will listen all they want. They will coach you. They will advise you, but they will not take action on their own. They will ask you to go back and talk with that person and see then if you can resolve it. Now... If, you, if that doesn't work, or it is a situation where there's a potential safety problem, then the three of you will talk together about it. The three of you together. And if that doesn't get resolution, then you're gonna escalate it together. All three of you will go to the next boss up and the four of you will discuss it or up the ranks until it gets resolved. 
So that's called the open floor policy, and that eliminates fear of talking, fear of being trapped, not being listened to, not understood, or being judged and blamed for something that I wasn't doing wrong, and having and having the boss just assume that I was doing the wrong thing without discussing it. So that's a simple change that you can make in your organization to start feeling some of the benefits that we talk about in Never Boss. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskorik. Thank you for listening 21st Century Entrepreneurship. Please subscribe and have a nice rest of the day.